Well, here we go off the weekend, a weekend that has seen Tim Zhu do what we thought he would do in Australia and set into motion once again an undisputed title shot with Jermel Charlo at 154 pounds. It has seen a couple of other interesting results in Europe. We've got news. Speaking of Europe, we've got news. We've got news maybe on Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk, and more. It is the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. I got to tell you, I'm usually the somewhat rested host. I'm like the no rested host right now, somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is our insider, bigfightweekend.com, his Fight Freaks Unite substack as well. Hello, Dan Rayfield. Uh, off my crazy weekend where I have been back and forth to Atlantic City, New Jersey, and Boardwalk Hall and made it back uh, here to West Central Florida in the Tampa Bay area. You're still hanging in Northern Virginia. Uh, you were uh, all over all the fights this weekend. I was all over some college basketball and the fights. I did get to see the Tim Zoo fight late night, Saturday night. So how you feeling as we embark on another show? And Zoo did get his knockout. That's the big lead here. Yeah, that's the big lead. Uh, you know, it was not the biggest fight weekend, but that was certainly a fight that I think if you're a boxing fan, you wanted to see. You wanted to see if Tim Zoo could. Uh, uh, we've seen how good he can look. Now the idea was see how he can look against a guy with a with a reputation as a as a legitimate top ten, probably top six, let's say, junior middleweight. We got an answer there, and uh, a couple other cards we'll talk about. All right. So again, thank you for finding us. However, you've done so. Uh, whether that's a social media link, whether that is Dan's Substack, BigFightWeekend.com website, make sure you're following, subscribing. We joke around with this, but a lot of people uh, have kind of caught on that if you are subscribing whether it's here or our bet us friday boxing show if you are subscribed you're going to get automatically notified a light a bell a ding a vibration a banner something will tell you we're out new customarily preview show out overnight thursday into friday morning previewing the weekend recap show likewise comes your way after the weekend is over with late night uh sunny night into monday morning and with all of that being said, uh, okay, it was the main event fight in Australia, WBO interim title fight, number one contender Tim Zhu, former world champ of the WBC, Tony Harrison. Okay, your thoughts on this as it ends with a Zhu stoppage uh, in the uh, in the latter round. Zhu had him hurt early, but approached cautiously. All right, there's a little bit on it. Dan, give us some more. Well, Tim is, a, if you've watched his previous fights, Tim Zhu is a very uh, methodical kind of fighter. He doesn't really go crazy with the punch output. He sort of looks at what he's got in front of him. He And he, he's very poised. He takes his time. In many respects, it's like his father, Kasa Zhu, used to do. He was not a guy with a, a, a tremendously fast starter, a big, big pace. And, uh, you know, Tim had, a, had the best opponent he's faced in front of him. But Tony Harrison is a good boxer and a, uh, a good guy and just unfortunately for him he's just not able to really take the heat when it's getting poured on him and if you take a look at his record he's now got four losses in his career all by knockout and three of them are in the ninth round and one of them is in the 11th round so if he was if, if fights were like eight round fights all fights he'd be one of the best eight round fighters in boxing uh but when you got to go into the deeper rounds and you're in with a guy with a good uh punch and, and, and an offensive a minded fighter like Tim Zhu is, it's hard. He got hurt early. To his credit, he was able to to take it. But when it when he got a little more tired and the fight got a little deeper and and Zhu turned up the heat just a bit and uh, started to pick up the pace a little bit, you know, it was a devastating finish. I mean, you know, the uh, the CompuBox numbers uh, show the tail of that ninth round. He was outlanded, Tony, 
20, I think it was 22 to 25 to two, I believe in the closing, you know, uh, two and a half minutes or so of that, uh, what was turned out to be the final round. And it was a good victory for, for Tim Zhu. He, he, he preserves his chance to fight for the undisputed title against Charlo. What people should remember, of course, is that that fight was signed and set and scheduled for January 28th in uh, Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. And unfortunately, Charlo suffered uh, the broken hand in two places and it was going to put him out of the ring for several months. So rather than just sit around and go into that fight against Charlo, you know, sometime this summer, you know, thereabouts, which would have meant he'd have been off for probably about a year and a half or so. Uh, that's not good for any fighter particularly if you're getting ready to take on the most challenging fighter that you've ever faced, which is the undisputed champion. Uh, their team made the decision to go forward and take on a quality opponent and uh, see what he could uh, do and, you know, just stay active, try to bank a good win and frankly, create a little more excitement for the prospect of the undisputed fight. He did that against uh, Tony Harrison, who, as we've discussed, the only man to ever have a win over Charlotte, although was stopped in their rematch. Uh, and he did what he was supposed to do. He turned in a very good performance, very, uh, I'll call it efficient, uh, you know, outlanded, out through, outboxed, and ultimately, you know, outpunched and, and knocked out uh, for his career best victory. And, uh, you know, Tony was a good sport about it. He, you know, he didn't have complaints. He gave him the credit he deserved, Tim Zhu. And uh, he moves on, as Tony said in his post interview. Tim Zhu moves on to bigger and better things. We'll see that fight between he and Charlo rescheduled uh, for sometime this summer on Showtime in the United States. And that's going to be one heck of a fight. Yep. Uh, and Charlo, by the way, as you made mention, and we, we kept talking about in the buildup was in the Showtime studio. They did studio coverage here in the United States with Brian Custer uh, calling it Steve Farhood, Abner Mares, and Jermel Charlo sitting there. So more on that in a second, back to the finish of the fight. And again, full disclosure, I got done with my college basketball duties, uh, working in Atlantic city at fame boardwalk hall, where Iona University won their conference tournament. I got back to the hotel in time to get in front of the TV, and it was a little delayed because the co-feature fight ran long and they had all the buildup. So I did get to see the entire fight, and I I was trying to, to key down, go to bed, whatever, so I was not bothering you, and I knew we had this podcast coming. But let's let's get into the brutal end of this, and I'm not familiar, and most fans are not, with Don Rex, hopefully I say the name right, Top Dadasan is how you say the name or close to it, who was the referee, uh, Dan Raphael, I thought he was way late in getting over in between Zoo and Harrison as Harrison took like two or three monster shots while sideways on the ropes and could have gotten even more seriously damaged than he was. I, I really thought that was a poor job to get in there quickly. He didn't get in there at all till Harrison went down on the ground. Uh, all right, give me your read. Give me your thought on that. Well, he is a very experienced referee. He's done hundreds of title fights. Uh, mainly if you've seen him, he does fights that are in Asia and in uh, Australia region of the world. Uh, you know, I'm not going to quarrel with it too much. Uh, I thought it was, I didn't think it was the greatest stoppage I've ever seen. Uh, after about four uppercuts that Tony took, I felt like he probably could have stopped the fight. Um, was it one or two punches later than I would have preferred? Yeah, I guess so. But, uh, it doesn't rise to the level in terms of my thought process of all the, ones you just jump out of your chair on and, and start screaming, stop the fight. Uh, you know, also obviously uh, Tony Harrison's brother, LJ is in the corner. Uh, he takes, you know, should take some responsibility for that as well. Um, you know, I'm not going to quarrel with it too much. I didn't love the stoppage, but it, to me, it didn't rise to the level of like losing our minds over. I know one thing, 
If you're betting future Tony Harrison fights or past Tony Harrison fights, if you bet the opponent by KO9, you're probably going to do well, <laughs> which is why when we talked about on the Bet US show and the over-under was 10.5 and, and my position was he's going to get stopped and it's going to be somewhere right around that because that's the perfect number. Uh, I took the under, obviously, but uh, it didn't – I mean, there are certain fights, TJ, that you look at on paper and you have an idea of how you think it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're completely off base. Sometimes you're sort of right. And there's other times you're dead on. And in the case of Tim Zhu against Tony Harrison, you know, this could not have gone more to the way that I expected it to go. I said it on the show. Yep. It, it just, you could have written this down ahead of time. He's going to start off slowly. Tony's going to maybe get some early rounds, possibly. He's going to box well. Zhu's going to crank it up. He's going to find his offense. He's going to get comfortable. He's got the big crowd. And eventually he's going to wear him down and he's going to blitz him, knock him out because that's what happens in uh, those types of fights with Tony. And frankly, it's what usually happens with Tim Zoo fights, and it's exactly what happened. Uh, okay, scorecards. And you made mention of this. You wrote your recap on your Substack, and th- and this was also brought up on the broadcast and on social media. It was brought up. So all three judges scoring the fight had the fight only 77-75 for Zoo, which means mathematically without the knockdowns in the first eight rounds, they gave Tony Harrison 10 points in five of the seven rounds, either as the winner of the round or a 10-10 round. Again, I maybe it's me, Brother Rayfield. I'm sitting in a hotel room in Atlantic City watching a fight that I think Tim Zoo's well, winning like six to two. I don't think I, there was 10-10 rounds, though. There well, was but I'm, 10, I mean, it's 70. Okay, so I'm just doing the math and help me. It's public school education. At 77-75, for eight rounds, they gave some 10-10 rounds because the math doesn't work out for Zoo having 77 points and Harrison having 75 points unless you're giving some 10-10 rounds in that. It would have to be, for example, 77, what, 73 or 77-72 if they're 10-9 rounds. And it surprised me that all three judges had that. Like Steve Farhood, the Showtime scorer, I believe had it 7-1, 7-1 Zoo. I had it six two. Did it surprise you that it was that close? Just as the overall point, yeah, like, the, it like three me. judges uh, thought it was. A hundred percent, it surprised me. I thought that Tim Zhu won handily. I gave Tony Harrison, like pretty much everybody, the first round because he didn't do anything, and and Harrison did a good job uh, in terms of his jabs. And uh, just for the record, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about with the math. I'm looking at the scorecards, and seventy seven right. seventy five is not. There's no ten ten rounds. I mean, I'll go over like just as one example, Benoit Roussel the Canadian judge, he scored the first round 10 to nine for Tony Harrison. Then he scored rounds two, three, four, five uh, for Tim Zhu, 10 to nine. He scored rounds seven, six and seven, 10 to nine in favor of Tony. And then ten, round eight in favor of, uh, of Tim Zhu. Uh, there, there are no 10, 10 rounds in a 77, 75. I mean, right, we can go enough. off air and I'll teach you how to score a fighter, how to write. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just telling you I'm fatigued because I'm looking at like 12 but here's seeds the point, though. five the, the, seeds in an NCAA tournament bracket. So my head is full of more importantly, of here's, here's the important part is the judges gave Tony Harrison all, th- they weren't all the same scores. Uh-huh. They gave Tony three rounds out of the eight completed rounds. I feel like, and you feel like, and it feels like most people feel like that was too, too many. Was it, you know, uh, scandalous scoring? Right. No. Was it shitty scoring? Yeah. So we won one round for sure. There was one other round. I forget which one it was where you're sort of like, ah, I could go either way. And other than that, I mean, Tim Zhu ended up winning all the rounds in my mind. And it wasn't really complicated. And in the end, it doesn't make a fucking difference because he, he knocked, knocked him out. out. 
Amen. Amen. He knocked him out. All right. So on the Charlo point, he's there for the studio commentary. They were getting his insight. But most importantly, this is the first time we've really seen him publicly and had him talking about the aftermath of the injury. I thought it's interesting. He had no brace on, or at least they didn't have it on TV. Uh, he had no brace on, no cast, none of that. Um, held his hand up even a couple of times and gestured with it. Okay. So those things look good. Uh, all right. So that's the question everybody wants to know. How soon do we think that he's healed up enough to where this can realistically happen and get it back on track for Charlo Zoo. Well, first of all, I wasn't surprised he wasn't wearing a cast because when he had the surgery, it was about the, you know, the fight was originally scheduled for January the 28th. It was canceled about what, maybe two weeks before the fight, something like that. And they said he would be in a cast for two months. So he's already well out of the cast, but that doesn't mean he's still not dealing with rehabilitation and, and uh, rest and that sort of thing and physical therapy. Uh, and so that's still going to take a little while longer from what they said when it first occurred. And I think that the when this fight will happen is sort of what uh, Charlo said uh, on the broadcast, what was stated at the moment when he was uh, forced out of the fight and they were talking about when the fight could take place. This is prior to the scheduling of this fight between Zoo and Harrison. Basically, we're talking about sometime in the summer. So his brother is going to probably fight in June. And I would anticipate that that uh, this fight with Zoo and the and and for the 154 title, Charlo, that will probably I don't know. I mean, I'm looking, I'm thinking in my mind. You're looking at maybe July, maybe August. I mean, it depends. Showtime's juggling a lot of fights. I mean, they've talked about uh, when we went over their announcement of their updated schedule, and uh, besides the matchups that they did formally announce, they made a very clear point to say we're going to have fights with the Charlo brothers. We're going to have a fight with Errol Spence with Danny Garcia. Uh, you know, with Jerron Ennis, et cetera, and he'll fit in and they got to, it's like doing a, a, like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, you got to figure out where the pieces go. They have to line up dates, opponents uh, with venues, but uh, Tim Zhu apparently has come out of this fight against Harrison. He is uninjured. He'll take a little break. Uh, Charlotte will figure out uh, in terms of the rest of his progress and rehabilitation, get the okay from the doctor and uh, go through a training camp. And, uh, you know, we'll see this fight unless something wacky happens uh, probably sometime in the middle of the summer. And that seems like a pretty good time frame to me. And uh, bring it on. I like that. And again, just one more time. He is a tremendous, popular boxer star. You saw how jammed that ar that arena was in Sydney um, uh, Sunday afternoon. And on pay-per-view, I would love to know and find out what the pay-per-view numbers were for Sunday afternoon in Australia because he's a prominent uh star again they are much bigger we can't really get our arms and brains around this they're much bigger into cricket and rugby and those stars and those athletes they're bigger in australia i get that but he's a big deal over there and he got the win and it's a big moment and it's front page news uh for them uh front page of the sports at least anyway lead story in the sports he's a big deal Tim Zhu in getting that well, win. And so let's see if we can get that fight on. Yes. One other thing else? about that, uh, TJ, is that in Australia, uh, the fans there are often used to having these pay-per-views in the afternoon. So it's not uh, an, uh, it's not taking them out of their normal routine when it comes to watching boxing matches and that sort of stuff. Uh, they're quite used to it. And also one thing about the pay-per-view market in Australia, it's obviously much, much smaller than what's going on here in America or, or even in the UK, for example, which are the I guess if you really want to get down to it, the three most prominent locations, you know, in the world where there is pay-per-view events would be the United States, the UK, and Australia. The, the a bit, what would be considered a big pay-per-view in Australia is like less than a hundred thousand buys. It, that's based on 
you know their their uh, their population and, and what they charge and what they expect. So, uh, you know, it did. I'm sure it did well in terms of what it would compare to against your normal Australian boxing pay per view event. But don't forget, they also derived you know probably a, quite a bit of revenue from what Showtime was paying for this fight, also, which is one of the reasons, as we discussed in the pre-fight, why it was able to be live in America. Uh, at, at, you know, roughly 11 o'clock at night, you know, Eastern time in the United States. All right. Uh, let's move to earlier and two other fights that we talked about in the preview mode. And we also had it on the bet us uh, preview show for the weekend. Uh, that is, that is Diego Pacheco did get his knockout. He moved up as the headliner on the, uh, on the card in Liverpool, England, and scored the knockout over Jack Cullen. Three, what, three knockdowns before the fight was finally over with fairly early. Uh, what, two knockdowns? Uh, and and Pacheco able to get the win. Dan, give me more on uh, on that victory. I mean, Pacheco did what he was supposed to do. He came in uh, into the main event on, uh, you know, he was already on the card, but as you mentioned, short notice in terms of being elevated to the main event to replace uh, the fight with Callum Smith that was called off because Callum had some kind of injury. And instead of uh, canceling the show, they went forward with uh, Pacheco and Cullen as the new main event. And uh, look, the kid is a spectacular prospect. I mean, that's just the bottom line. I mean, I'm not telling you Jack Cullen is anything spectacular, but it doesn't really take a lot to look at uh, Diego Pacheco, the way he's been fighting over his recent fights, and say, you know what, this kid might be something special down the road. I mean, he's got the good build for that weight class. He's got a good mentality. He comes in good shape. seems to have the right attitude. He gets great sparring. He's part of the David Benavides team because Benavides is his dad. Um, Jose Sr. is his trainer, so he spars with David Benavides and others in that camp. And there's no easy, you know, that's not an easy camp to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's only 22 years old. He's, you know, he was a teenager when he signed with Matchroom. They they brought him along from day one. He's now 18 and 0, 15 knockouts. He's getting experience. He's fought overseas now twice to, between the fight here in the UK. He fought on a big card with uh, Andy Ruiz and uh, Anthony Joshua uh, in Saudi Arabia. He has fought in Mexico. Uh, he's just a tremendous prospect. And, he, and you know, I get excited when I see guys like that because you can sort of see, like, the star potential just ooze out of him. And you just wonder, like, what's this kid going to be like two years from now, you know, when he's got his full man strength and he's now taking on the, the best of the best in that weight class, or at least you hope he's taking on the best of the best. Uh, and this was a good uh, – it was a showcase kind of fight. I mean, Colin, you know, was able to actually box him pretty well for about two rounds. I took that more to be because Diego was sort of like just trying to check things out. It wasn't like he was uh, in any kind of trouble or uh, in any kind of duress or anything. He just sort of, uh, you know, let me be poised. Let me take my time. I got 10 rounds to work with. And uh, once he started to, to, to feel comfortable, let's say, in about the third round, he started to really pick it up. And uh, as soon as he started to let the punches go in round four, you know, devast- and it was not just one punch. He landed body shots. He landed mm-hmm. hooks. He landed, uh, you know, right hands. He, he was – He's a, a very good offensive package with with good enough defense at the moment. And uh, I'm just excited for his future, not because it was a great fight or great matchup, but I, I you just to watch a kid like that come into his own, which is it's happening as we speak. He's coming into his own. Now, I'd like to temper things a little bit, and I can appreciate the excitement and the exuberance of Diego Pacheco talking about how, you know, I'm no longer a prospect and this and that. And Eddie Hearn talking about how he's this huge star and he's going to, you know, he's now on the world scene. Everybody needs to relax. He is still a prospect. You know, we make those decisions, the fans and the press, not the fighter and his promoter. To me, he's still a prospect. He's a great prospect, but he still needs some more seasoning. I'm not in any way putting a damper on his performance or anything like that, but he needs a little more seasoning. He needs to step up against 
uh, an even better level of opponent. Even like, you know, find a former champion, find a guy that's mm -hmm. uh, known to go, you know, be a durable guy that can go, uh, you know, into that 10 or 12 rounds. Maybe a guy that's been a former world title challenger and acquitted himself. Okay. So far, his record at 18 and 0 is devoid of that. And that doesn't upset me. I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying he's been, you know, moves with kid gloves or anything like that. He's a baby, 22 years old with, when, and didn't have, uh, you know, 300 amateur fights, had a good amateur career, but uh, there's plenty of time. Uh, I think that because we're now early in 2023, this was his first appearance. You got to figure he's going to get at least two, at least two more fights this year. Uh, maybe he might get three more fights spending on, you know, Ooh. there's no injuries or anything like that. He did fight four times in 2022. I would imagine that's sort of the similar kind of schedule. And by the, by the end of this year, you'd hope he's in there with a real guy. And then come next year, you know, you can hopefully turn him loose and bring on the real, real top opponents. And again, in his last five wins, I believe it is, they're all knockouts within five rounds or less. He's a finisher Pacheco. So, that was interesting off the weekend. All right, now I got to confess, it has been crazy for me. Uh, I've I've been trying to my best to read the recaps, keep up with it, see the highlights. I I come to you now. I come to the altar of Rayfield for the <laughs> Tony Yoka defeat at the hands of the veteran Carlos Takam. What happened? And and it, at this point, are we out on Tony Yoka? Did he? I mean, you're fighting in Paris. You're trying to get your career back on track, and you don't win this fight, Rayfield. And I'm legitimately asking, what happened? There are those who would say, and I saw this on Twitter, and it wasn't lost on me. Somebody said Tony got to go back on the juice. Remember, <laughs> he was, you know, again, I'm not making accusations, but what I am saying is that uh, not that long ago he was suspended, not for failing a drug test, but because under the rules of the drug testing that they have with their national um, drug testing in, in France, he missed a couple of tests. And if you, and I don't remember if it was two or three or whatever it was, but if you miss tests more than a certain number of times, it is reflected as a failed test. So there's no official failed test, but they punish you and he was suspended for a period of time. And so take that for what it's worth. He's come back. He looked like shit against Martin Bacoli in his last fight, which was in May of last year a fight where he got a majority decision loss that should have been probably a unanimous decision loss. You've made the point that Bacoli was beating him up so much that Bacoli was looking to Dioka's corner to, mm -hmm. hey, guys, you want to stop the fight? Which reminds me of the time, uh, you know, I've seen that before. You know, a classic example. I covered Manny Pacquiao against Antonio Margarito at AT&T Stadium many years ago. And as Manny Pacquiao beat the living shit out of Antonio Margarito and disfigured his face and broke his face and broke his eye, uh, Manny is a is a you know, is a, is a nice guy. He didn't want to inflict more punishment. He kept looking at the referee. Are you going to stop this? And I'm telling you right now, there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. Uh, and if you put Manny Pacquiao on truth, sir, he'll tell you the truth or Freddie Roach. He pulled his punches the last couple of rounds of that fight because he didn't want to keep hurting Antonio Margarito. You know, he won the fight so handily. Uh, he, you know, he, he didn't want to inflict more damage on him because the ref just simply wouldn't right. stop it. And so Bacoli was, doing kind of damage like that to Yoka. So, okay, so now he comes off that loss 10 months later to fight Takam. Now, Takam's coming off two losses in a row. Lost a decision to the fighter out of Canada, uh, uh, Arsenal Beck. Uh, before that, got stopped by Joe Joyce. But one thing about Carlos Takam is the guy is a man's man. I mean, he's been in with everybody. Uh, he's been stopped, you know, I think four times in his seven losses, but he's always given a great effort. He's always, you know, been 
uh, a tough out. You know, he's fought the best of the best, whether it's Joe Joyce or Anthony Joshua. He's fought plenty of quality opponents through the years. Um, you know, you name it. He fought Chisora, who was a tough, you know, tough as nails. He's fought a lot of good guys, he fought Joseph Parker, whatever. But you go into Paris. Now, he's from France in the sense he's lived there his whole career. It's kind of in France. It's like a rivalry, even though he's from Cameroon, but he's considered a French fighter. Uh, so it was a big deal for Takam also. Like, he knows, like, this is a chance for me to really, you know, kind of get my career back on track to whatever degree you can get a career back on track at age 42, coming off back-to-back losses. But by all rights, Tony Oka should have kicked his ass. And just done like a lot of guys have done, which is Takam's going to be in the fight, right. but I'm going to beat him, and I'm going to leave no doubt. Do you believe it was Yoakum, the opposite? Did you you believe Yoakam didn't take it seriously? Didn't train? Did no, he not I have think legs? Yoakum, no. what, what was the story? I think he just is not what he, we thought he was. He's just not that good. He's a mm. giant. I mean, again, you. I, I wanted to see Tony Yoakam be successful because when you have an Olympic gold medalist mm-hmm. come on the scene in the heavyweight division, it gives people excitement. I mean, there's a guy that can you think can really seize the mantle and become you know, a superstar and become a big name. Uh, you know, he had signed even with top rank to do a co-promotion. Now he was supposed to come to America a few years ago and fight uh, the, the COVID-19 pandemic kind of messed that up because right as the moment he was supposed to come here to make his American debut, everything was closed down. And, you know, he ended up staying in France. He was off for a while. Boxing was shut down and uh, you know, that never materialized, but I'll tell you right now, <laughs> I'd be willing to wager with you that, that uh, they'll probably release him from their end of the contract uh it would seem to me he's a bust let's just be honest about it he's the olympic super heavyweight gold medal winner which by the way highly controversial there are many 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 people that thought that joe joyce should have had his hand raised that day and got the gold medal and tony would have had the silver but even as a silver medalist it's nothing to be nothing to sneeze at uh he's just never really developed in, into the type of heavyweight you need to see uh in the pros coming off an olympic gold medal i said it on the I don't know if it was on our Bet US show or on the last podcast. He's been maddeningly inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Drive me crazy. Can look great against a regular fighter and then look just super average against a regular fighter. And now against a guy like Takamu who's better than average, even though not a star, he looked terrible. He looked terrible. And he I mean, lost. It wasn't even I mean, the fact that they called that fight a split decision is a fucking disgrace. I mean, Carlos Takam won the fight. I mean, did he he didn't win like 10 nothing? But he probably won, like, obviously, like, 6-4, 7-3 at worst, 6-4. And in the end, I'm glad he got the decision. He deserved it. Tony Yoka got caught up in the last round. His eye was a mess. He looked like the loser. He acted like the loser in terms of his body language. He knew he lost the fight. Uh, so big win for Takam, who lives to fight another day. You know, I made the comment to me, he's like, with, with fewer losses, he's sort of like the uh, Glenn Johnson of the heavyweight division. Just, you know, <laughs> old man River. He'll, he'll give everybody a tough fight, a lose, a win. Uh, but for Yoka, he got to really reassess what he's going to do with his life and his career because as a heavyweight contender, he's going nowhere right now. All right. That's why we have Dan here. That's why we love the insight. few minutes left here on the Recap Podcast. All right, We have news off the weekend, including, dare I say, we're moving closer towards Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk. Uh, a lot of buzz, a lot of social media talk, nothing official. You always caution even after they say it's going to happen, don't believe it maybe even until the press conference and maybe don't even believe it then. We're not even at that stage yet where they say an official date and they have the press conference. But it looks like, and even maybe late April, is that what I saw? What What are you hearing? What do we know? Well, we got a few things to talk about with that. So the reason why this became a thing uh, in the last few days is because Tyson Fury and and. And Usyk have been trying to make this fight. And the WBA, 
in particular was going to stand down and not, you know, they're next up in the rotation of the mandatory defenses that Usyk owes. So the next up, remember, we talked about how the Mm -hmm. IPF thought they were next, but they obviously weren't. They made the, uh, they, they, they took, they rescinded their order for the Hergovich fight. And they, they recognized that the WBA in fact was the next up. So, but everybody agreed, we're going to let them take their time to go through and try to make this undisputed championship fight. I think all the organizations realize how significant and important that is for boxing, not to mention, obviously, the, the payday that they'll all get with their fees that they'll get from the fight. But the WBA, you know, to their credit in a weird way, and I've had numerous conversations over the last several months with Gilberto Mendoza Jr. about this exact situation, about their, their commitment to eradicating the terrible decision they made years ago to have multiple champions per weight class. And they've been taking it seriously. Now, it's taken too long. It's driving me a little crazy. But the reality is they're now down to like a handful of divisions with multiple title holders. Most of them are basically dealt with. And a few of the divisions that aren't dealt with become a little more complicated, whether it's super middleweight as it relates to Canelo or it's the welterweight division as it relates to Errol Spence, obviously the heavyweight division as related to Usyk and what's been going on there. So they're trying to deal with that. They just cleared up, you know, the, the situation with the middleweights because Gennady Golovkin gave up his title because they weren't going to do the fight with Lara, who was the mandatory. So however it, however it uh, takes form, they're they're getting to the point where they're going to have one champion per division. Daniel Dubois is the WBA's regular title holder. So now they're in a position where they've got to order the fight between their champion, Usyk, and Dubois. But again, they decided, let's let them go through this process. Dubois... And and uh, and Fury are promoted by the same outfit in Frank Warren. Everybody was cool with letting things chill. Daniel Dubois was not pressing the issue. And the most important thing is Dubois had a serious knee injury that is healing up as best we know, but he can't fight in the short term, but presumably can fight later this summer. Continue on. Correct. So the WBA gave them, meaning Fury and Usyk's teams, an opportunity to get this fight done. They're tired of waiting, just like we're all tired of waiting. So they told their team, you know, both sides, and particularly Usyk's side, that they were given a 5 p.m. end of business Friday afternoon deadline to either uh, agree or get the deal done with Fury, or we're going to issue the letter ordering the mandatory. Once the letter is issued, there's usually no turning back. That's next, or you're going to lose your title. So earlier in the day, you know, and the fighters are aware of what's been going on. Fury is out there saying on his social media, and you can watch the Instagram video, which I have done. Uh, Remember, let me back up a second. When this fight was originally being talked about for Saudi Arabia, everybody seemed to be on board for a 50-50 split of the money because it was such an astronomical amount of money that the Saudis would have probably put up for the fight. When it became apparent that there was no pot of gold coming from Saudi Arabia for this particular fight in April, which is when everybody was thinking it was going to take place. Now the promoters are forced to put the fight in the UK, which is the only other market that it would generate even, you know, a fraction of what it could generate in uh, Saudi Arabia. So they wanted to do the fight uh, April 29th at Wembley stadium in London, bring in, you know, Tyson drew 94,000 for the Dillian white fight last April. No reason to think this fight would be as much or as many as people as they would allow to be in there. That would do a big gate, but not what it would do in Saudi Arabia. So Fury's position was if we're coming back to the UK where I'm the man, and I just drew 94,000 and uh, I am the lineal champion, you know, and I'm the guy, uh, I want 70, 30. And, and, and the, and the Usyk camp was like, no, 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 50, 50. So right. now then Usyk made a counter proposal. He said, I'll take, let's do 60, 40. And the winner gets the 60. 
Now, I actually kind of like that because that right. makes it real prize fight. But they said no. So anyway, Fury goes on his Instagram, makes the video, says 70-30, take it or leave it. And for every day that you go beyond our deadline on Friday, I'm going to deduct 1% from your percentage. Meaning if you don't take it today and it's 70-30 and I come back tomorrow, it's going to be 71-29, et cetera. So not that long after that, Usyk makes his own video. Calls him uh, Greedy Belly is what he calls yes. uh, Fury. And I now, love the accent. Belly. Usyk belly. did this video. He did his video in English. Obviously, he speaks Ukrainian mm -hmm. as his, his native language. And I, as many times as I've been around Usyk and covered fights of his and, and talked to him through a translator, I've never really heard him speak more than just a couple of words uh, in, uh, in English. Matter of fact, one time in New York years ago when he won the Fighter of the Year award, I actually rode in the car with him to the boxing writer's dinner. <laughs> and uh, we spoke on the ride, but we were talking through a translator, uh, not in English. Anyway, he did the video in English. Uh, and he says, listen, 70-30, I'll take it. But you have to promise that you have to give a million dollars towards the uh, Ukrainian people to, you know, to the charity to help rebuild the country to help all the problems that they have there. And every day that you delay after the fight, I'm going to make that, you know, uh, 1% more or whatever it was. So then I clarified his, his uh, deal situation. I talked to Alex Krasiuk, which is his promoter. And Alex made the point that that offer to take the 30% and have Tyson Fury donate uh, the money towards the, you know, the uh, Ukrainian humanitarian situation was only good if the fight takes place April 29th at Wembley Stadium. So that is a big issue because I've talked to other people who are involved in the fight who are sort of like at the point now where here we are for this what is supposed to be a mega fight in the middle of March that it's almost like it can't get done. The logistics are so overwhelming for a fight of that magnitude that six weeks or thereabouts is not enough. And because of other things on the calendar that are taking place in May, that this fight would probably have to go so into So clarify, June. please, who's pushing for the 29th? It's not Furyk's, it's not Fury's side, it's Usyk's side, or who wants it by no, the 29th? What's up? The the boxers want the 29th. Okay. That's when that's when everybody is hoped. Top rank, Frank Warren, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the management, uh, Alex Krasiuk, you name it, the television. Everybody wanted April 29th. But from just an actual logistic standpoint of actually having it come off in that amount of time would prove to be awfully difficult. Because remember, it's going to be a pay-per-view. That takes a little bit more uh, elbow grease to promote than, than a non-pay-per-view fight. And so another, one of the people that's involved in the fight had said to me, yeah, of course we'd like to get the fight done by April, but April 29th. But I think at this point, it may not, it may not be possible. And if it's not possible on April 29th, again, because of other things that are scheduled, Cinco de Mayo with Canelo and the impending announcement of the Lomachenko uh, fight against Haney, which is key because... Lomachenko and Usyk have the same manager. They're not going to compete against their same fights. Top rank's not going to compete against its own event, et cetera. And for a myriad of reasons, that it would have to possibly get pushed into June. So if that's the case, based on Usyk's own words, 70-30 was only for uh, April 29th at Wembley Stadium. So when I wrote what I wrote, and it was very clear, I, nobody can say that I was you know, messing around or misleading people. My headline of what I wrote was Fury Usyk appear to have reached a deal for the undisputed title fight. So they may have agreed on the purse split, but that's dependent on when. It's also dependent on putting things in a contract. Now, the reason all this came up was because the WBA was at the crux of it. And so Gilberto Mendoza told me, I have a series of messages from him, 
And, and he spoke to some other reporters also who said to me that they had agreed and they were going to not force that 5 p.m. deadline to order the Dubois fight because they said, we have a deal. Now we have to work on the contracts. So they're they're being pretty cool about it, at WBA. They're not like being ridiculous. But for how, I, know, I can tell in your but face, for how long? but for how long? Before the WBA issues the letter, right. So the point is, right now, the, the boxers have you know stated their position. Alex Krasiak and I uh, corresponded from in emails uh, late, uh, I guess, Friday night about it. Um, but if you've noticed, you don't see anybody from Frank Warren's team or Frank himself, nobody from top rank, nobody from uh, you know BT Sport or, or ESPN Plus pay-per-view or whatever, like, They've all like not really been talking about it publicly. It's been Gilberto saying we received the correspondence from the two camps saying that they had agreed. So we're going to not order that 5 p.m. letter to be sent ordering the Dubois fight. So it's good news. But like a thousand things in this business, take it with a grain of salt because it ain't done. And it feels like it may very well get done. But we ain't over the hump yet. Well, and again, we're only talking about roughly as we release the podcast here seven weeks before this happens right now is seven weeks and the longer you wait this week it becomes six weeks to promote it which look uh, we're not saying in the current age and you've talked about this before that you can't get some promotion going but uh let's see let's see no. we're, I, I, I mean i i want to see this thing i'm i'm willing maybe it's june Maybe it is going to be June. I kind of hear that with what you're saying. But if it's April 29th, and correct me if I'm wrong, just one more, that was about the weekend he fought Dillian White uh, two fights ago was yeah. the last weekend in April, right, at Wembley. So I mean, there's there's no – I mean, I don't – maybe they have a different reason. To me, as I look at it in the, in the, in the larger picture, there's no magic to April 29th. I mean, honestly, yeah. if you're going to get an undisputed world championship fight at the heavyweight level with these two guys – as long as they get it signed, sealed, and delivered, honestly, I couldn't care less, and I don't think any fan would give a damn if the fight's April 29th, if it's on May 15th, if it's on June 29th, if it was July 6th. As long as it takes place over the next few months, I don't think there's any problem with that. Now, the fighters may have a different situation as it relates to, you know, their back and forth and all the nonsense with making a deal. The one thing that seemed good in my mind is that Fury, uh, some one of the other videos, he's, he said it was his official first day of training camp, so he's in camp. You know, Usyk seemed to be working out when he was making this video. He's always in good shape. Uh, so sometimes when you make a fight, part of the reason you need to have a longer lead time is because guys got to go to training camp and make sure they're ready for the fight. But these two guys are taking it seriously, it seems, and they're already in camp. So that's a good sign. Um, we'll just have to see how it plays out. But, uh, you know, I guess I'm cautiously optimistic that it will get done, whether it's in April or some other time in the next few months, I couldn't tell you. All right. Uh, Fury Usyk news there, by the way, uh, you did make mentioned and we talked about it happening and then they talked about it on the matchroom boxing uh, broadcast they're confirming that katie taylor is going to move up keep that date of may the 20th correct dublin ireland Chantel cameron will be the opponent that's now at least been announced officially through their broadcast right to follow through not just on their broadcast but they sent out the full blast press releases to the press and and made their their tweets and social media posts and everything yeah this fight is on uh it's unfortunate that Amanda Serrano was injured and not able to go through with the rematch on May 20th. Uh, and I'm hopeful that whatever happens with the May 20th between Katie Taylor and Chantel Cameron, that eventually they will have the ability to reschedule Taylor against Amanda Serrano, whatever happens, because it's just such a great matchup and everybody would like to see it again. But I can't blame Katie Taylor. I mean, 
her her career does not revolve around Amanda Serrano. She won the fight, whether you think she did or not. Her hand was raised. She's still the undisputed lightweight uh, women's champion. She has never fought as a professional in Ireland for a variety of reasons. This is going to be the homecoming fight at the at the three arena in Dublin. And so when she had her opponent fall out on her, uh, as we discussed pre- previously, she went on social media and said, look, Eddie, Matchroom, save the date of May 20th. I'd love to fight Shan- uh, Chantel Cameron for the 140 undisputed title. You know, they're they're all together in the same uh, promotion. And uh, immediately after Katie posted uh, that, that very gentle call out to uh, Cameron, Cameron responded and said, yeah, I'm game. Let's do it. That's a fight that's been talked about for a long time, you know, for quite a quite a couple of you know few years, uh, and so they were able to get it done in pretty short order. Uh, she'll move up to 140 pounds and go for the undisputed championship at 140. And here's the thing that's interesting about it: um, she has already had one previous fight at 140. Katie Taylor. She won a world title of the WBO back in 2019. She she won the fight, uh, and she vacated it pretty much right away and went back down to lightweight but now is a chance to win all four belts so if she wins there's a lot of stuff going on here number one it's the homecoming fight in ireland which is gonna be a huge deal number two she's taken on a fellow undefeated fighter number three it's for undisputed at 140 and it's extremely rare for there to have been two undisputed or an undisputed champion in multiple weight divisions the only woman who has ever done that has been clarissa shield she's been undisputed at uh junior middleweight she has twice been undisputed at middleweight where she still reigns as undisputed. And the only reason it was twice is because she gave up one belt for various reasons and then won it back from Savannah Marshall to make her a two-time undisputed champion. So that, that'll be a pretty big feather in Katie Taylor's cap. If she can win, she's already going to be hall of famer. It's just another great line on her resume. And frankly, if Shannon Chantel Cameron pulls the upset and uh, retains the title, it's a career making victory for her. So uh, as women's fights go, if you have undisputed, uh, lightweight against undisputed junior welterweight, it's a big deal. The same way it was going to be if it was undisputed lightweight Katie against undisputed featherweight Amanda. And what it tells you is that in women's boxing, which has a smaller universe of top fighters, it's less complicated to make fights. The money is not as great. You can have uh, champions that are undisputed in multiple divisions. It's hard enough in women in men's boxing, but it's sort of like quasi regular in women. You know. McCaskill had been undisputed at welterweight. She moved down and uh, ended up losing a couple of belts. But, you know, you had Cecilia Breckfus, who was undisputed champion. I mean, there's a lot of women who've been able to do that. But uh, this is a good, interesting matchup in uh, May 20th on the zone. Uh, we'll see. And whatever happens, TJ, hopefully, uh, win or lose, Katie and Serrano can get the rematch going later in the year or some other time. Let's hope so on that. All right, we got to get out of here in a moment. A little nostalgia. Uh, let's see. First of all, on Monday, almost 25 years ago, March 13th of 99, the Lennox Lewis Evander Holyfield first fight ends in the draw. Uh, infamous, infamous, dubious scoring there. Right. I mean, yeah, it's hard to believe it's been that long. That was, uh, right before I started my, uh, my tenure as a a full-time boxing writer, like about a year before I started on that. What a disappointment, right? I mean, you want to talk about a hyped-up fight. We're talking about undisputed heavyweight championship possibilities between Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk. That fight between Holyfield and Lewis was something that so many people wanted to see. It was such a big deal. Madison Square Garden, HBO pay-per-view, a mega, 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 mega fight. You know, huge pay-per-view. Uh, just a, and, and people expected it, frankly, to be a good fight in the ring. Um, it turned out to be a mediocre fight in the ring, and it turned out to be one of the worst scores in the history of boxing. Uh, I mean, and I, I will never forget this. If you watch the pay-per-view, you have Jim Lampley, who was doing the call of the fight for HBO, 
I mean, usually the guy that's the commentator in the blow by blow situation, you know, with with certain uh, ability to do a little bit of opinion, they keep it straight generally. You know what I'm saying? Especially, you know, Lampley, you know, he has his opinions. Mario Ronaldo has his opinions. But they they basically call the fight. But it was such a bad scorecard. Lampley has told the story to me and others that in his ear, Ross Greenberg, who at that time was the producer, w- later went on to become the president of HBO Sports, basically told him in his ear, go for it. And what that meant was let it fly. You know, they, they worked together for so long, you know, they knew what they were thinking. And so Lampley's famous words were Lennox Lewis. And I remember this because I it's it rings in my ears 20 some years later. Lennox Lewis has just been robbed of the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. He won it and he didn't get it. Um, and as Larry Merchant had said later, it was almost like uh, uh, the judges were more reviewing Lennox's career as sort of like, you know, up and down, not so exciting, you know, kind of leaves you wanting more. Uh, rather than they were reviewing the actual fight, which he clearly won. It was a scandalous decision. And because it was in New York, it, it, it even made bigger headlines. And there was supposed to be investigations and this and that. And, you know, you had the whole scandal with Eugenia Williams, who was mm-hmm. one of the judges that gave the scorecard to 115 to 113 in favor of Evander Holyfield. But the round, and I forget which it was, where Lennox had Evander really hurt and almost dropped him and, was pummeling him. She gave that round to Holyfield and made excuses after the fact. And then you had uh, Larry O'Connell, who was the British judge that scored the fight 115-115, saying afterwards that, you know, he made a mistake. He was the British judge. It was just a fucking mess. Uh, Terrible night for boxing. You know, they talk about, quote-unquote, the black eye for boxing. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's about as black an eye as there was, you know, during that era. And, uh, you know, ultimately they settled the score uh, months later with a rematch. The cynic would say it was, you know, they 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 made that happen on purpose to have another big event that took place in, uh, you know, that was in March of '99. The rematch was in November of '99 at the Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas, where uh, finally Lennox Lewis not only won the fight, which was a closer fight probably than the first fight, but this time he got the decision that he deserved and he became the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, and you know what? There hasn't been an undisputed heavyweight champion of the world that had back then. It was the three belt era. Now here in our four belt era, uh, there hasn't been since that victory in the rematch an undisputed heavyweight champ, and hopefully we'll get one with Usyk and Fury. But that fight between Lewis and Evander was as front page news and scandalous, and 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 left terrible feelings with everybody uh, moving forward after that. What a what a terrible night for the sport. Disastrous judging for sure. Uh, one other one, and this bit of nostalgia intertwines. With the Dan Rayfield bachelor party, March 13th, 2004, <laughs> is my man Ronald Winky Wright of St. Pete, Florida, outpointing Shane Mosley uh, to become undisputed junior middleweight champ, or at least unify three of them and then later become undisputed. No, uh, no, no. Wait, no. wait a minute. Well, I'm reading what you wrote here to unify the three major titles and become the undisputed junior middleweight champ. That champion. was still the three belt era. There you go. All right. So Winky was great that night. Uh, and beat Shane Mosley. And if I remember correctly, the next fight was supposed to be for Shane Mosley, Oscar De La Hoya. And that was the big thing in the in the call and the buildup. He took the risk by fighting Winky Wright, and Winky Wright upset him. You were there. How coherent were you, though? It was your bachelor party weekend. Give us the deets real quick on the podcast. Well, that was a big fight because Winky Wright, who was not just great on that night, but was great on many nights, was one of these guys that he had the... Uh, IBF title 
but he couldn't buy a big fight. He couldn't get anybody to fight him. Um, you know, he had, even though he had a belt, he had not really had any major opponents that, that, that everybody knew. And he was one of those guys that you just sort of felt bad for because he was a brilliant boxer, not the most exciting guy, didn't have a huge fan base, didn't bring a ton of money to the table. Um, you know, uh, um, just not the most exciting guy. Also not, difficult to hit, difficult yeah, great, to fight. Yes. Great defense, you know, not a, not a huge amount of personality, but are just a really outstanding fighter. And uh, I've always given Shane Mosley credit for being the one guy who was, you know, he wanted to make a lot of money, but he was also a true competitor. He was not afraid to fight anybody. So after he uh, defeated Oscar De La Hoya, very controversially, if I may add, in their first fight in late 2003, which was a huge event, which I covered, uh, they were supposed to be a rematch between him and Oscar, but he wanted too much money. He felt like because he beat Oscar uh, in the first fight, and then he got the decision against him in the second fight, that now he is Oscar and that he's supposed to make the big, big money. And unfortunately, in the real world, just because you beat the man doesn't make you the man in terms of your pay. You may have the adulation. You may be on the pound for pound list. You may got the hardware around your waist, but it doesn't mean you got the dollars in your bank account. And whatever you think about it, Oscar was the bigger star. He still called the shots as, as unfortunate as that may be in terms of the scheme of the way things operate. But he turned down career money, uh, which was going to be a big raise over what he got in the in the second fight to not go through with the third fight and instead gave Winky Wright the opportunity, took a fraction. I think he was going to make like $8 million for the rematch against Oscar. And instead he made maybe like four, four and a half or something like that to fight Winky in a live HBO fight as opposed to in a pay-per-view fight. But he gave Winky the opportunity at the Mandalay Bay and Winky Wright, uh, didn't just win, but he won very clearly. It was he outboxed Shane, and Shane was viewed by many as one of the top, you know, couple of pound for pound fighters in boxing. Was a tremendous fighter, great speed, defense, you know, whatever you want to talk about, he could do it, offense and defense. But Winky had a brilliant night. Uh, he won the fight, then he beat him again in the rematch. But uh, that first fight was Winky's coming out party, and he even said it, I think, in his Hall of Fame speech. You know, he thanked Shane Mosley because. He was a real man, and he stepped up to the plate, and he gave him the opportunity. Now, as far as my bachelor party goes, uh, <laughs> so the fight was on the Saturday night, and uh, my bachelor now, party careful was on. here. I just should interject. On the previous podcast, for those not with <laughs> us, and I think you were, you're talking about being at the Pool Cabana in Cancun on topless weekend for a Don King pay-per-view. And you even admitted Mrs. Rayfield may not have known that story. Not that she's a big listener to the podcast. But if you're now, I'm just being your lawyer. I'm being your advisor here. You don't if you're need, about good, to go down the road of the of the bachelor party, just be careful here because Mrs. Rayfield may not know all these deeds. Go ahead. Well, that, that Cabo uh, topless pool, that wasn't even like a special thing. That Apparently, that was how it always was, and it was not even like a big pay-per-view fight. That was the Samuel Peter Oleg Maskey of a WBC heavyweight title fight. But you can go back and listen to the last week podcast and get that story. But anyway, so my my... <laughs> My we're, wedding, we're my party, I should say. 17 or 18 hours of every day overlooking the pool. Continue. <laughs> yes. Right. So the fight was Saturday. My bachelor party was Friday night. Some of the guys that I'm friends with in Vegas uh, set it up for me. We went to a, a gentleman's club in Las Vegas that uh, we might have frequented a few times. And uh, and actually, the funny thing about it is I'm not going to name names because I don't want to throw anybody under a bus. But I remember when the, when when uh, we were there. I, I turned to my friend that that was uh, that was sort of in charge of it, and I said, "Hey, I didn't know you invited." And this was a, a prominent boxing person. He said, "I didn't. He's just here hanging out." <laughs> <laughs> 
He has so, joined. He has joined the fun in progress. I mean, he still will. come over to hang, hang out with us while we were there. But I thought he was invited as part of like the party. <laughs> but it turned out he was just out there with the guys just to be there. Uh, so the funny thing about that was, so the bachelor party was on the night before, but all week when I, w- I was in Vegas, my, my wedding was two weeks later, mm-hmm. but this was when it worked, you know, right. this is when it worked, worked out. out well, cause I'm in Vegas, uh, for the fight all week in the media center in the Mandalay Bay, they had, you know, and they would do these kind of things for David. I haven't seen this in a long time, but back then it wasn't like a totally uncommon thing just to get everybody hyped up and sort of, you know, create a little buzz among the media guys and have some fun with it. You'd walk into a media center and they'd have like the countdown clock on the wall, counting down the days and the hours and the minutes till, you know, when the pay-per-view was supposed to start. And I remember during the course of that fight week, they had the big clock up uh, counting down the time to the, you know, this was not even a pay-per-view Mosley versus Winky. It was just a big, heavily hyped up fight. Uh, They had a, I don't remember if it was a second clock or at one point they put a sign up underneath it and they were also counting down the hours and the days and the, and the, and the stuff until my actual wedding, which again was two weeks later. By the way, when the anniversary of Mosley uh, and Winky Wright one comes up, it always makes me remember, I better make sure that I don't forget the, the wedding anniversary in two weeks. So it gives me time to make sure uh, we get that taken care of. I think you in said anyway. that the wrong way. Whenever your anniversary comes up, no, no, it makes you, it no, no, I'm, no, I'm, I didn't. I'm being your lawyer. I'm being no, your but counselor. You don't need, I don't need a lawyer. She I'm just listen. saying to you, whenever <laughs> you start thinking about your anniversary first, as a priority, it makes you think of Winky Wright and Shane Mosley. That's how you should no. say that if Mrs. Rayfield's going to hear us. But it I doesn't. Mean... And she knows me a long time, so she knows that's how I think. By the way, it's the same <laughs> reason why I remember when the anniversary is of when we got engaged, because I remember doing it, watching a fight on HBO, <laughs> Rafael Marquez uh, getting knocked out by or knocking out Tim Austin to win the bantamweight title. And then proposing Somehow to my Mrs. Wife Rayfield after the does fight. not remember... Marquez scoring a knockout on the night of the engagement. I don't think she remembers it for that. No. The bottom line is the bachelor party was uh, memorable and a good time. No one ended up incarcerated. No, 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 sir. Okay, good. No, no, we, 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 we were, we were well-behaved, you know, maybe not perfect, but no, no trouble. Uh, We had a good time. And then, then the next night was, uh, was the crowning moment of Wiki Wright's uh, hall of fame career against uh, Sugar Shane Mosley. I mean, I, I mean, that's, I know it's a long time ago and, that was like a big deal fight. Now think about today's welterweight division. What are the big deal fights? We haven't seen Spence and and uh, and Crawford. Put that Don't aside. Don't get me started again at the end of the podcast on that on Spence. But in terms of like welterweights and junior middleweights, and I say welterweight because Shane had fought as a welterweight champion for a while, and then out here in junior middleweight. Let's just talk about the junior middleweights. Charlo Zoo. That's going to be a pretty big fight, right? In mm-hmm. my estimation, that wasn't. It's not as big of a fight as Winky versus Shane, because that was to bring together all the titles. So I'll ask you this, was when Charlo fought Castaño for all four belts, that was a pretty big deal, but it wasn't as big as no. Winky versus Shane. Winky versus Shane got a huge But, but you're also, you. I know what you're saying, but you're also in a different time where the fighters understood we got to fight two or three times a year and keep our name out there, be prominent, be popular, and we don't live in that era anymore. We live in fantasy Look, land now where they don't Shane want to fight Winky for a right. year and think anybody cares. I mean, we didn't know it at the time, but Shane and Winky Wright are now bona fide Hall of Famers. They've been elected, deservedly so, and they were enshrined, you know, over the last few years. Uh, And maybe Charlo has a chance to become a Hall of Famer still. Obviously, he's a tremendous fighter. He's been champion in two weight classes. He's undisputed at junior middleweight. He's still making his legacy in the sport, so I wouldn't discount him as a possibility for the Hall of Fame, but he's going to need to pick up the schedule. Uh, But Brian Castaño, 
a good fighter, but he's never going to the Hall of Fame. So I'm just making the point that, and yep. I'm not I'm not slagging the guys of today. I mean, they have a lot of good fights and a lot of tremendous fighters. But Winky Wright and Shane Mosley, you know, because it maybe wasn't the greatest fight of all time, but it's kind of forgotten about. But I'm I I don't I can't uh, express enough to you what a big deal that was within boxing at the time. Again, Twitter didn't exist back then. If it did, you know, it would trend. Is the point. Was a big deal. The bachelor party was a success. I love all of this. Still married, by the way. Uh, yes, good for you. Uh, and I, I am as well. Coming up on number 27, by the way, for me, uh, with Mrs. Reeves. And every March, she becomes a college basketball widow, which is the case right now for the March Madness. But we got a lot of boxing in here on this, including the zoo victory, which hopefully sets up the showdown with Charlo off the injury later on this summer. For now, though, I think we are good. Anything else in the recap mode? I think we're good to get out of here, Dan Rayfield. We are good, my man. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, my Duke Blue Devils take care of business come Thursday. By the way, they are coming to my region. They're coming to Orlando in the opening round, and I will be there. You and I will be on the preview for the boxing, but I will be there for the Duke matchup in college basketball in Orlando. Now, that game, that game is at the Amway Center, correct? Correct. In Orlando, where the Orlando Magic play downtown, not far from the Mouse House, Mickey Mouse House. And that is a primetime uh, game, primetime game Thursday night. I covered one fight at the Amway Center a few years ago, several years ago. Can you guess what fight it was? Do you remember? I'm trying to think of what was there in Orlando. Was it an Antonio Tarver fight? The Amway Center wasn't open then when Tarver would have been fighting world title fights. Uh, no, no, I don't have anything for you. It was the uh, return comeback after a loss of the uh, Hall of Famer Miguel Cotto, who had lost to Austin Trout and came back against Delvin Rodriguez and fought in Orlando, where they have a very large Puerto Rican community, the biggest Puerto Rican, as I found out in covering that fight, the biggest Puerto Rican community outside of Puerto Rico and New York City is in the Orlando, Kissimmee, Florida area. And he drew a very big crowd and yeah, for and that it is. fight. He knocked out Delvin Rodriguez in the third round. Delvin had been a staple on ESPN fights uh, back in the old Friday Night Fight Series, made a lot of good fights, was a good guy, went on to become a commentator for many years on uh, their Spanish language uh, boxing events. But uh, yeah, no, that was a that was a it was a good fun time in Orlando for that uh, for that fight at the Amway Center. All right, so that's coming up later on this week. Uh, for now, though, I think we're good here on a recap. Dan Rayfield, thank you as always, and uh, we'll be reading you on BigFightWeekend.com and your Substack, the Fight Preacher Night Substack. Thank you, sir. You bet, TJ. There is Dan Rayfield. I am just TJ Reeves. Make sure you follow or subscribe here to this podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We come off the weekend recapping things with the Fight Freaks Unite recap. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.